episode 74 of the Ubuntu People's Podcast, a conversation with Mr. G. Yamazawa. Last year, G. dropped what is the unofficial North Carolina anthem. He ain't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. He described the song as, quote, the legality of karma and pulled pork sandwiches. And I say only an Asian Buddhist poet MC from Durham, North Carolina could have said it like that. We're going to explain what that means, what Northcat means to him, even though he's living in Cali right now. His journey from his family restaurant in the Bull City to eating and feasting around the globe with his music and his art. Talk about his family, his upbringing, and how that has steered him to the spaces and places where, in his mid-twenties, I was acutely aware that I was talking to a dude who is smart, alert, aware, with his eyes wide open artistically, socially, spiritually. You're going to enjoy the next hour. You're going to learn something. Of that, I'm sure. Ubuntu People's Podcast. I'm honored today to be in a Japanese restaurant. By the way, it's my favorite food. It's one of my favorite hey. food. And this is the thing. Every time I see a Japanese restaurant, I see an Indian restaurant across the street. So is there an Indian restaurant here? There Everywhere I've been in North Carolina. There is not actually in here. There's not an no, Indian restaurant here. That's the not. first time in North Carolina <laughs> I've not seen a Japanese and an Indian restaurant next to each other. But I'm here with a G, literally. Mr. G. Yamazawa, Durham Zone. Who else you claim? Can Cali claim you now? I guess so. You're Bull City man. bred. Let them yeah, know. Bull You're City. Bull City born and bred. You're Everyone here. definitely knows. Definitely Pittsburgh, knows. Chatham County, represented right. all day, all the time. Right. So we're here at the family restaurant talking North Carolina, talking hip-hop, talking life. And again, it's an extreme honor. Um... Thank you, Chris Weeks, for, for setting this up. Let's get into it, man. You were at Shikori this weekend, right? I was. How was that? Shikori, for anybody who doesn't know, what is Shikori Hills? Shikori Hills is a grassroots music festival, music and arts. It's in Pittsburgh. It's been going on over probably 13, 14 years. It happens every fall and spring, and it's like predominantly white, white hippie folks, <laughs> you know, just keep, you know, and it's like, you know, it's, it's tight, man. It's very open, free kind of environment. It's the weekend. You know, funny, I performed at I competed in their poetry slam 10 years ago when I was 17 youngin yeah still yeah. I had just got back from my first youth competition and national festival and I was hyped up and the winner got to perform a poem on main stage and you know the whole crew we went out there and slammed up against each other and uh, I came in second place so I just, you I got just missed it and I was at that time especially I still am, but at the time, especially, was so competitive, man. Just like needed to win every poetry slam ever anywhere I could go to, and had enough gas money to get to. And yeah, so it was a it was a start of a of a crazy period where I was just competing heavily at all the slams I could go to. It was awesome to get invited back ten years later, man, to perform as a as a music actor. G is being um, modesty. You're a poetry champion. You're a slam. <laughs> Poetry national I have champion. Won a title, yeah, with the DC you, team. Yep. Come on, once you win a Super Bowl, you you get the ring. You walk around <laughs> and they introduce you as a Super Bowl champion. So I should have introduced you. But here's the you. thing: the difference between a national poetry champion and a Super Bowl champion, <laughs> little cash, is you walk in the food line and no nobody knows. Nobody know. Nobody know. Like, nobody. So maybe maybe a Kroger they know. <laughs> a, a Harris Teeter. It's a little more. It's a little more upscale. So maybe Weaver Market they know because they, they they have a little bit more. You know, every kind of uh, you know in- inclination no uh, nobody no, knows man, nobody man she you came back and the ladies street. were not taking the panties off nothing. nobody was doing that nothing, nothing so what about after Shakori when you're up there and you kill <laughs> for how long how long you perform 
doing this weekend? I had like a 40, 45 minute set. 45 minute set. Uh, and you said hippies. When we think hippies, and you said is skewing towards Caucasian. Yeah. So we're talking like 60 year old, like like yeah, baby boom from, hippies? Or, I mean, are they young hippies? Oh, There's a lot of kids out there too. Um, just cool, young, dope parents with their kids come out. You got cool ass old people come out. You got, um, of course, a young crowd. And I think they're trying to you know gain a, a larger young audience as well um and so and there's not a lot of hip-hop you know so i think for the few times they do have hip-hop it's kind of a it's a moment for sure you know um and so and they, they try their best to to uh encourage local acts and um so yeah but yeah on some hip it's like hippie sparta you know, okay okay you gotta like, explain that it's just like ah. hippies <laughs> sparta yeah, yeah, yeah so it's aggressive like you walking around the atmosphere is very peaceful calm everyone's okay. great loving but uh when i was on stage it was just just great energy it was just like ah it was just coming at me like you know just like like never before man so, is that something once you get out there and start performing and obviously you've been doing it through poetry since you were 16 17 18 years old 10 years in the game now building your reputation as an mc mm-hmm do you sort of catch that spirit that energy the minute you get out there and are you looking for it and going okay what's the what's the feel tonight what's what's the shikori vibe tonight and 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 how important is that to your performance Uh, i definitely envision a lot leading up to everything and i think the way we imagine things has a lot to do with the way they actually manifest in our life just generally speaking so when it comes to you know doing well at a show you know, from weeks before, I'm just like, I wonder what, you know, it's going to be like, there's going to be a big state, be outside, okay. it'll be nighttime. All of the settings are, you have to set the setting for sure. Um, even down to, it'll probably be a cord mic, you know, it probably won't be wireless. It'll be, you know, and uh, who's going to be running my set, my DJ, racial demographic, age demographic, the kind of music they're inclined to listen to, all of those things kind of come into play. But then at the end of the day, you know, I don't change my stuff up too much, okay. you know, because I have to. I, you know, I got to do me and I think that's what people like. So I do my best to honor myself, but then also do my best to accommodate the, the crowd. But, so know. what are they in for? They haven't seen the G Yamazara show. What is the show? 45 minutes. Is it, is it, you know, Onyx 1990 raw coming out, jumping all over the stage? Is it more because if anybody's read your background, you're Buddhist, you're mm-hmm. practicing Buddhist, is that... Is it more centered, more calm? Is it just whatever the audience is giving you, whatever you're feeling in that moment, you're just letting it go? Or do you have like a, not a performance piece, but a thing that you do for those 45 Mm. minutes? I say I always start strong. That's always been a trait of my stage presence. And also it's kind of a necessity. I have to capture you early. Um, And that's what all performers, I think you have to, they have to love you from the jump. So I do my best to open the show strong, come with punches, and because of poetry and breath control and all of these, all and diction and all of these things, I kind of learned the importance of literally every word. And so I pride myself in the clarity of my rhymes and being up there. And I remember just coming up and watching hip hop shows and just, you could never understand them. In hip hop, there's 20 guys on stage. Yeah. Everybody's got their own handheld. <laughs> but, right, right. but again, diction, right. clarity, making sure the message gets across. That's incredibly important for yeah. you. Yeah. And I mean, certain performers are in music is different. And you don't really, some music, you don't need to know what they're saying. And it's about a vibe. It's about an energy. I feel that way about Nirvana or, you know, some other, other genres of music where to me it's just it's more of a feeling i think for me and the kind of music that i bring to the table it's important that you catch everything i'm saying it's important that you you have to hear this line for this line to make sense right. and so i do my best to be taken seriously as a as an artist as an mc as a performer from the jump and then what i also bring in for my poetry experience is uh not being afraid of silence I'm actually probably at this point still stronger at not having music and just ha- and just, just me and you and acapella. And so telling jokes, telling stories, anecdotes, little things here and there, addressing the crowd and kind of it becoming a, more of a dialogue than a performance. So what overall, what was the experience like this weekend? Something you do again? Was it what oh, yeah. you wanted to get from it? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. It's dope because I went, I went to Shikori and then, you know, the next day I went to Black Space. Black Space is a, a youth center revolve around afrofuturism and and music and cult it's amazing it's primarily for black and brown youth so they just dropped the project and went to their album release show and it's just kids spitting making amazing music and so it's just for me like back to the kind of in-betweenness of where i'm able to operate and where i'm able to just continue to just kind of share 
share my word. It's been it's amazing, yeah. Everybody hush. I'm trying to prove myself, but I don't need confirmation. I don't want to be a star. I want to be a constellation. I want my heart to beat the way it wants to be my occupation because art can free a nation. Art can be a sanctum. Art is freedom painting. We're on the People's Podcast now with MC, rapper, digital content mentor, Shakuri Hills vet, national poetry slam champion, but nobody at Food Line recognizes him, or, or Target, or Walmart, not a damn thing. He's still building his base. We're going to get into a lot, um, as long as the gentleman wants to, to talk to me about North Carolina, about hip-hop, about music, about, you know, if you want to get in the game, this is somebody who's done it from the ground, and I'm sure you'll admit we're not where we want to go yet, still building it, so we can talk about that process. For me, the process is everything. I want to bring it back to, to home. Now, Shakori, you're what? 30 minutes from where you grew up in Durham and your biggest song the one that just blew everything up last year uh, North CAC alright bigging uh, Durham putting it on the map some people would say knocking Petey Pablo out the, out the park <laughs> I don't no? know I don't, uh, know. I don't no? know you gotta also remember that time that's a Timbaland beat there are levels and there are hierarchies, you know, and I... You're very respectful. I think where people go wrong with hierarchies is either committing or subscribing to a false hierarchy or acting like there is no hierarchy. But there is, there is, I believe, there are essential, like, hierarchies in the world. And in my place, I'm honored, and I do believe I have sort of entered that pantheon okay. of, of, of North Carolina anth- anthemic, you know, joints. So who else is in there? Who else is on that Mount Rushmore? Well, I don't know if there, I don't know if there are other quite anthems. And I think there are definitely heads out there who can enlighten me and, and put me on to some okay. stuff. Somebody has sent me some crazy cuts from like 20 years ago talking about Bull City and North Cacalac. But you have, you know, little brother, you have Welcome to Durham, you have the Daddy Kane, you have, you know, you have these sort of markers and, and moments in North Carolina hip hop history. This has been a crazy experience because it blew up out of nowhere kind of thing. And it's been a decade of efforts on me developing my voice, on me developing everything. And then you have a cat like Jay Gunn, who has been in, in the scene and heavily for the last 10, 15 years. And then it's an Asian dude, it's a black dude, and then Kane comes through as a white dude at the end and just smash it. It's just kind of, it had all of these elements in it. And someone was telling me the other night, they didn't realize how big the song was. They were at work and he was telling them, I'm about to go kick it with this dude, G, G, I'm He was like, who was that? He was like, oh, he has a song, pretty big song. You know, last year it's called North Cat. And this dude only loves country music. This is a white dude. He's like, what? The door cat in the bucket? And he was like, oh, shit, this is a bit. This is, he didn't realize how big it was until right. he realized. And so it's just somehow seeped into just so many different crowds, man. And, and I think most Carolinians have expressed that it speaks to them and speaks to their experience as a, as a Carolinian man. the North Cat, baby, I'm a Carolina barbecue sauce with the slaw on the safe, the cellar in the vault. I'm the best, the effect, and the cause on the lot. I'm the truth, man, looking real false. Whenever I hit the booth, I come out to an applause. If I'm talking to my crew, you heard a sudden draw. Yo, I ain't talking to you, stop eavesdropping the ball. I be rocking with y'all, I be off of the wall. A pit bull off the leash, I keep locking my jaws. I see a cop at the mall, I see a cop at the fault. Peter taking a fight, I can see the Viking in y'all. One of my punchlines are where your Viking and off. I know I'm frightening y'all long as the mic is involved. Relocated to Cali, but I ain't liking the smog. I'm a southern north. Star, I be the light in the dark. Be the right in the wrong. I be the reason the bull city feeds me. Bull city grieves me. Bull city needs me. Everywhere I go, I got that bull city greeting. That's why they throw the horns when the bull city sees me. It's the North Cat, baby. I'm a boss. Yeah. Carolina barbecue sauce with the slaw. I'm the safe, the seller, and the vault. I'm the best, the effect, and the cause on the law. And maybe I might give you credit for this. There was a point last year where I recognized, I mean, I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, and I came down here to go to NC State in 1994. And I've been down here for every year except maybe two or three when I moved back to Brooklyn to teach for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Came back down here, coached at NC State. There was a point last year where I realized, because I, I would always claim New York because there's a certain cachet. Yeah. Like when I first came down here, you just say you're from New York, yeah, and people yeah. just gave you just a certain level of respect that I didn't earn, I didn't deserve. <laughs> But I got it. You know what I'm saying? And they would wait, wait around for you to say certain things like tournament. Tournament. Tor- water. Water. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. I realized that I've spent more of my life in North Carolina. I can no longer claim New York, basically, because mm-hmm. I'm saying I can't claim Brooklyn. But don't, it don't bother me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was right around the time that the song came out where that started. I don't know if it was oh, wow. me recognizing it yeah. or the song bringing that out. I'm North Carolina, and I'm proud of that. And I bring that up to say, you've been places. I've lived other places. 
does it bother you the perception of North Carolina? Like someplace else, the fact that they bring up, you know, like the NBA didn't bring the All-Star game here because oh, of the yeah. bathroom transgender and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. And it's, like, rawr, rawr, and it's a red state. But I try to tell people, look, if you come to the triangle, it's like a blue in the middle of a red. Yeah. You know, it's a diverse place. So does it bother you the perception of North Carolina? Was that song just you describing some play against that stereotype? Uh, like I said, man, I think it just was about... And, and the context for me first writing the hook and everything is that I was missing home, you know, and I was in California and I was missing barbecue and slaw. <laughs> I, was just, I was just missing, you know, backyard barbecue and cooking. I just kind of just missed it. And it was less about proving mm -hmm. the value of, of North Carolina to anyone. It was just more about a genuine just kind of hole in my heart in a way, man. And, you know, and me realizing that I spent 21 years of, my, you know, my life here in North Carolina. Like, no matter where I go, even if I live in LA the next 20, maybe, like, it's like, this is the place that made me who I am. It's the North Cat, baby, I'm a boss. Carolina barbecue sauce with a slaw, 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 slaw. It's the North Cat, baby, I'm a boss. In poetry, we learn about drawing the line between the personal and the political and, and how it's always connected. And in my art, I try my best to make my art and things I create accessible to anybody. It always does start for me, and it is always a very introspective experience for me. And so it was one of those things where it's like, even if no one ever heard this song or no one ever, I got to a place where with Shouts to Darren when I was making an album, it was like, I think this is a slapper, man. I think this is dope. But you know, who I guess, you know, and then you just have so many doubts and you have so many, you know, qualms about what you're making, if it's going to be received well. So, so yeah, it got to a place. I was just like, dude, whatever, man, it's, it's going out there. What was and, the process? How long did it take? Sometimes people say they know it's a hit. They're writing it and it's almost like you're channeling something else in the everything just comes through and it just goes through the brain through your fingers and it just keeps coming out in the pan or on the blackberry whatever it is was it that or was it a song that had to be recrafted and shaped over and over a little again? bit of both so armin armin hammer produced that joint he also engineers and mixes and masters all my music he's a dermite as well lives in la he's a head right he loves funk loves soul loves, you know he loves hip-hop and southern rap as well but one thing i always have to do with armin is i always got to scale him back so he always puts a bunch of weird sounds and just like sense and I'm just like oh take all of that all of that and when I first heard the beat the whole beat came from a like a four to eight bar loop at the just at the beginning do 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 you know that that was what grabbed me and so I don't know if I could call it recognizing it was a hit or anything like that but I do know that that was the sound that was like just repeat that over and just just loop that right there <laughs> take everything else out we're gonna make it work and then little by little we added little things here like the ooh, and then and dropping the beat out here and giving it a little bit more dynamic it originally was just me and Kane and I was trying to find another feature from Durham I had run into Gun a few times here and there and I had his math and so I was like this is that moment where you at you know you gotta you gotta shoot your shot right. and so yeah I remember I, I asked him and he was like I got you and then a month later me and Armin were at an open mic somewhere he sent the verse and we like yo we gotta go to Car. We just dipped out and we went to his car, played the verse, and we're, we were just bugging out. It was a, definitely a moment. That was a moment where I knew it was a special song for sure. Um, really thanks to, to Gun. Shouts to Down. Yeah, and then the, I mean, the video also deserves just as much credit as anything else. And that's shot locally, it's right oh around here. Oh my goodness, yeah, right around Pittsburgh, and so, right around my homie Junior grew up. And so, that happened the night before, we were gonna do it somewhere in Durham, but the cars were an issue. So, we was like, man, why don't we just go out to the country somewhere? And uh, Salim's one-shot idea, and, and people popping up in and out, I mean, I have to give as much credit to Salim and, and the crew as well for that too, so. Shouts 
someone commented was like, man, you really like to walk around a lot in your videos. I was like, no, you're right, dog. Like, <laughs> now that I'm thinking back. <laughs> yeah, I walk a lot in a lot of videos, man. Ego trip, you walk in the alley. You're walking around. Sheep, I'm kind of walking around. Is this the whole baseball thing? Because you're a catcher, you didn't move that much. <laughs> Maybe, get, man. I'm trying to. trying to get trying more. To... Maybe I'll run in the next one. I'll okay. really like, uh, but, um, but yeah. What is the daily life like? So, home is LA. Home is LA. LA yeah. You wake up, you driving down to Venice. What do, what do you do? What is the life of an artist, oh, a man. rapper life? It's so sporadic, man. From 2013, 14 to about this year, last year, um, it was nonstop traveling. World or nationally? Or? Uh, internationally okay. as well. Abu Dhabi, Dubai, you know, Europe, um, Indonesia, Japan, Korea, and 48 states, man. Just every. All, it was a college circuit. Okay. So this is me solo traveling, doing an hour set Damn. of poetry. And at one semester, I had about I had seventy shows in one semester. And it was it was nuts, man. When I look back, it's like a it's a blur. Yeah, man. Uh, probably anywhere, probably anywhere from sixty to a hundred dates a year. You know, for a good three, three years, three, four years straight. And so, yeah. So this is relaxation time now? or So not? now I've re I'm reaching an interesting place in my life and career where two years ago I was like wanting to make a, a very uh, deliberate transition into music. I'm wanting to sort of transition monetarily as well the shows and trying to just do full-time music okay. but it's so it's so much more difficult so the interesting thing about being a poet and doing spoken word and especially in the realm of like cultural identity and diversity is that there's so many diversity programming boards at every school they're in, looking in the country for somebody. and they're, they're looking, looking for, for so like you know a uh, asian poet from the south who was like cute and funny i mean it's there and okay. it's and it's there's an educational element to right. it there's a power you know and so and also teaching workshops and then there's even if you can even find your way into like the corporate field into just diversity programming and events and also activism as well and so it's just much less opportunities for hip-hop because rap is just so stigmatized and so people are not willing to go out on a limb to look for an MC who they believe could fit, you know, whatever it is that they're looking for. So colleges are often very opposed to hip hop acts, especially at a amateur level. So what's interesting though, is that I'm really looking forward to being still and just being in the studio and just being creative and just trying to take all of the traveling that I've done and all of the different stories that I've learned and heard over the years and yeah, making great music, man. On my way in tables. Papa in the kitchen, Emily was hostess, I was doing dishes, we was trying to make a living on the come up, I'ma stay true no matter what I do, raised in a family serving food, just made sure I wasn't in a dining room, cause mama waiting tables, mama waiting tables. Growing up here, your family came here in the mid 70s? Late 70s, yep. Late 70s, you know, we're in your family's restaurant now, building's been up for... 32 years grew up here grew up yeah. in this yeah. in this place back, man. Yeah. what was that like at what point did you recognize okay i'm different i'm a little different because you're hanging out with your boys you're all everybody's in the hip-hop everybody's doing that thing you're like i'm one of y'all at what point because for black folks especially black boys there's always a come to jesus moment when mm -hmm. somebody in tones they don't say it but you get the intonation nigga mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so was there a moment where you said Gee, I'm a little different. Some is a little not wrong, but it's a little different. Yeah, when I was a super little kid, man, it was I think kids was calling me George Washington or something, right? And and I was super little. I don't even remember how old I was. But I just remember being like, Man, George Washington, okay, this is a powerful person that I'm named after. Mm -hmm. And you know, in my head I was just like, But we really don't look you know, we don't we look some some that's when I realized I was different and right. that the fact that my name was George is a very unique, interesting thing. It really probably was religion that really threw me off when friends would come over and their parents would come over and they would see the altar mm. and ask sort of what we practice. That was sort of one of the first times it was negative. It was like, it wasn't a an admirable thing. That How old would you have been around this time when you started this recognizing probably this? Probably like first grade, first or second that early, wow. grade maybe or second grade, so five grade. to seven years old and kids are kids have no problem letting you know how they feel about what is that what is that what is that what is that and and for me it was always 
It is a little bit of both. It's a little bit of, oh, that's, they were like, that's the coolest thing I've ever, I've ever seen. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then it's also like, yo, that's different. Why, you know, why don't, so it's a, it's weird on the psyche for sure. I did a good job. I'm lucky I had an older sister, seven years older, who, who was a head and also loved hip hop and love culture as well. And also being a woman, just so she always was there to comfort me and, and remind me that I was worthy or I was right. valuable. Um, but it was mostly the eyes, man. It's always the eyes for Asian, I think, okay. even before dick jokes, you know. It's the most immediate, you know, level that you get to with someone is you look each other in the eyes. And so for me, that was something that took a long time to get over um, when I really look back and really kind of, and I don't know how, how present it w really was or not, but when I look back, it definitely was an underlying factor as to why I tried so hard to fit in, to be cool, mm -hmm. to, to accommodate other people's personalities. Um, at a young age, yeah. So, yeah. and then you know, when I smile, they get even smaller, right? <laughs> so it's like it took me a while, and I, 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 my parents always said I had such a great smile, but then there came a period during like adolescence where I didn't want to. I felt my eyes. Right. I felt people look judging me from on my eyes when I smile, kind of thing, or at least a, it may be a false notion, but nonetheless, it was. Um, yeah, it's like just kind of all, mostly psychological, though. You know? you when did you know you were different what point did you know and I'm just like these I'm just like these assholes hmm. I'm just like them and then sort of combining the two and going I'm okay with me hmm. how long was that maybe when I found poetry man maybe when I got to 17 18 and, and, and 19 and was just kind of really coming into recognizing the sort of interdependence of of it all man and like you said in, in like this podcast, just getting into people's stories mm -hmm. and realizing each person is ex so extraordinary, you know, every, every regular life, you know, seemingly is actually just this miraculous phenomenon, you know, and um, I think it comes from a love of other people, too. And, and recognizing how much you love others and sort of this simultaneity of, right, right, of, it, right. of it all, if you will. Uh, poetry, man, was definitely a huge part. Because I started rapping first, right? I started rapping when I was like 13, 14, okay. 15. Who got you when you said your sister was a big influence in terms of introducing you to hip hop? Yep. Obviously, your, your friends are doing the yep. same thing around that time. Yep. Who were the acts that you listened to them and went, I gotta do this shit? Who were the people? So this would have um, been like 03, 2003, 2004, around there? Yep, yep. definitely Jay, okay. Nas, Pac. I, you know, or, originally it was like no diggity, you know, Black Street. It was okay. like the Fugees and, and Big L and kind of cats that I just listened to and just loved the music. And then it started to transform. This was Kanye. This is college dropout. Mm -hmm. Kanye, this is late registration. This is um, the Love Below, you know, speaker box and kind of this um, early 2000s, mid 2000s era of, mm -hmm. of rap. Um, Eminem, of course, so, you know, T.I., Outkast, Ludacris. And then, like, it got to 2007, and it was like Soldier Boy blew up. And it was like this shift in hip-hop. <laughs> it was a shift in the world, right. right? It was like, it was the Bush administration. It was the, the birth of YouTube um, and social media. You know, it just was so many things going on at the time. And then hip-hop <clears throat> started getting much younger, way quicker, too, right? And the way it was spreading was changing, too, and the record, you know, all, all of that started mm -hmm. then. And that was a time where I was like, man, I don't know if I could really be myself in rap right now. Like I felt, I felt myself being like very conflicted and very like, man, I know I'm talented at at rhymes and flow. I know I could rap. I know I could do the art, mm -hmm. but it's about what am I really gonna say? What am I really trying to represent? And how do I make a name for myself without having to to act like anyone else? And so I think that was a time where I was still figuring out the, the value of my own story and the value of my own voice. And I still had a lot of learning to do about the craft. I, I still had a lot more metaphors to write, a lot of alliterate, all, all of the devices I mm -hmm. had to learn about. I had to learn about the relationship between you and the, the audience and the relationship between you and the art itself. Um, and poetry helped a lot with that. How were you expressing that? Because you said it's 10 years grinding before North CAC pops up and explodes last year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously you're not hopefully doing that 
in the closet, in the cut, just, you have to be mm-hmm. doing a little different similar, a little different metaphor someplace, on a stage someplace for those 10 years. So was that the time you were in colleges and, and doing that whole thing? Or were you at open mics? I mean, what were you doing? There's a lot of young uh, girls and boys out there who want to do this, but they might feel that trepidation. I'm not ready. But at some point, you just got to go. You just got to do is, the bro. thing. That's all it is. Even if it's on a local level, in a coffee shop where there's nobody paying attention, you just yeah. got to go out there and get it out. So were you doing that thing? Absolutely. Okay. And that's ever since high school, for sure. Even when I was rapping, I would go to poetry open mics just to get it off. You know, I was just okay. like, and I would just spit acapella and it was, it was terrible. Well, let's hear a terrible one. Let's hear a terrible one. Let's hear a terrible rhyme. Let's hear a terrible rhyme. I was just talking about weed and and how fresh I was and, you know, there's just no substance, but clearly I could, I had charisma kind of thing. Is there a place for that? I mean, we can't be serious all that. Is there a place for it? Absolutely, man. Especially as a 17 year old. Right. You know, especially as a, as a young person, it's like, we like to give young artists so much flack, but like. We forget what we were like when we were 16. And also what you wanted to listen to. You knew there was so much in the world that you hadn't experienced yet. And you just wanted to get your hands on all of the things your parents didn't want you to, you know, listen to or experience. So I take that into account too when I make music. But for me, my story was like high school, you know, kind of trouble, just didn't listen to nobody. And, but I was always nice with everyone Mm -hmm. and kind of got along with everybody. And then, uh, smoked a lot of weed in high school and sold a lot of weed Mm -hmm. ended up getting kicked out with a Lakeview for a year when I was a junior. Which Lakeview? Lakeview's alternative school in Durham. That's where all the bad apples go. And that was definitely an important phase of my life for sure. And then, uh, went to community college, went to Durham Tech for two years. And this was the time when I was like, okay, on track to transfer into UNC after two years and maybe get an English degree, maybe be an English teacher. So this is when I'm like, going to any slam I could go to Richmond Baltimore Atlanta wherever we're going and um, poetry was taken off and uh, Dasan was my coach at the time so when I was 18 to about 20 21 I was under his tutelage and we were we were winning Southern Fry we was winning getting the final stage at nationals and I was doing the individual world slams and during this time is when I went on my first tour and so that's when me and Kane hit the road for the okay. first time our first tour was called the running of the bulls I think we did a hundred shows man i think we did a people out there listening it's work y'all 100 shows in four it months is work. and this is like bro this is like coffee shops this is bars where drunk dudes are just you know this, this is, is driving this is not flying first this class is this is we just took a go- couple flights you okay. know we did take a couple flights but we drove and took the greyhound and we were sleeping on couches and this is one of the most formative times of my life so this was a time where it was like all right i'm taking this jump i'm taking this i'm gonna really take this leap and we'll see where it goes and we came back we didn't lose money you mm-hmm. know we came back kind of even on, on some shit. and i found myself in an interesting place because i came back without a job without a car without you know kind of nowhere to go but up but i had just seen 30 states you know and i was like how can i i don't think i could stay here right now man and so I kept traveling, I had a show in DC and met a great crew of homies there and it just clicked and there was a job opening up for after school youth program. Mm-hmm. And so the magic number was 500, like it was $500 rent and then the job popped up and was like, we pay 500 bucks a month. It's like, you know, and I was like, all right, well, <laughs> all right, well, let's try it out. And I'll try to sell CDs and, and make my way through. And it was just like, had to have been illegal to rent this room out, man. <laughs> It had no windows. It was on top of the, the heater, so the floor would get crazy high. How and big are we talking about? I mean, man, for real, like, very, very, very small room in a 12-room row house in D.C. Damn. 12 people sharing one fridge, and, you know, it's three, it's, it was crazy, man. It's like it 1940s was, uh, life where there's one bathroom shit, on yeah, the floor. Man, I mean, yeah, and each floor had a little bathroom, so I, I shared Damn. a bathroom maybe four or five other people. But and some of the rooms were nice, right? Like some of the rooms, and I had a room where it was one big room, and they put a wall in between it so that he could run out again. How long were you there? So I lived there for about a year and a half, man, year and a half, and that's where I learned how to walk, ride a bike, ride the train, you know, without complaining, kind of operate in a fairly big major city, man. And all the time writing, all the time writing, working on the craft, working with kids, hosting events, event organizing. And throughout all of this, you have love and you have heartbreak and and uh, loneliness, but also fulfillment and friendship and brotherhood. All these things kind of coming. together. Parents reaching out to you, ask mom's calling every day. Are you yeah. eating? Is yeah. everything okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And DC was great because I was 21, 22. I was close enough to home and far enough from home. You know, it's just sure. a four or five hour bus ride. It was like 12 bucks on Megabus at the time. And so it was an amazing growing period for me. And that's when I first started to do colleges. 
In one interview, you mentioned vulnerability and sensitivity. And I get the sense you're not afraid to tap into those spaces mm-hmm. in your body, in your soul, in your consciousness that actually as a young man, we're talking about you at 17 to 21, that in those years, mm-hmm. like young men kind of don't. Society almost teaches you, nah, you can't do that shit. Don't, yeah. don't talk about that. But you're tapping into those things. And at the time, I was really writing a lot about my family, about my grandmother, about my father, and my experiences growing up out here. And it was a time where I started to finally like love my parents very openly and very just unapologetically, man. It was, it was definitely a crazy time. You've mentioned in um, actually in a couple of different articles, you've used the phrase your father had a heavy hand. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? But he always loved using his hands. He would also leave marks on my face as a sign for discipline. And some may call them bruises, but I call them visible prayers. You see, my cheeks learned the lines on the inside of his palms like a roadmap to better behavior, but I was never good at following directions very well. He... Hey, you just fuck me up, man. <laughs> but it was, Shit. but it was, you know, it was, it was. Whooping. Was it deserved? Was it? Well, this was young. This was me, like third, fourth, fifth grade, and at one point started using shoes. I think he crossed a couple lines for sure. Okay. But. My emotions would explode like a gunshot, and I'd watch tears race each other down to my jawline, because it felt like my heart and his English were the only thing we had in common, both broken, like a record spinning the soundtrack to my family's harmony. But when I returned home that summer, and things finally started to get back to normal, I was told that he was diagnosed with cancer, and I realized that things are just getting started. I don't know how much I can really, I don't know how much I can blame him. I think, you know, I think he had anger issues for sure. Um, I was just an American boy. Right. And, and I think he just didn't understand the cultural nuances of what kind of environment I was growing up in. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, at one point I had to go to foster care How for old? a few months, fifth grade. So the state comes and takes you away from him or? Yeah. I had this one Chinese teacher at Village Charter School and I had came to school with marks on my face once and okay. she was like, came to my dad and was like, you can't do that in America. <laughs> it's like, you can't just can't leave marks on kids. You gotta do it where you can't be seen. And I was gotcha. like, fuck, man, after that, you know. Now you told him to see I know, <laughs> man, and then he just would whoop me with belt, whatever, anywhere I could have be seen. Shit. And then, but one day it was just, it was that one time after the last warning, right? Where the last warning was like, I'm gonna let you go this time, George, but if you, one more time, get a call from, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the next week get the call and, he just, he just went off on my face. It was just all on my face this one time when I was in fifth grade. And he like, you know, full guard, knees on my shoulders, just Shit. crazy. And my mom was like, yeah, I don't think he should go to school tomorrow. And my dad was like, fuck that, he's going to school. And then, yeah, man, I never, never forget, like yesterday, just like walking in, everyone looking at me and just like their faces, just kind of every single person walking in, the normal walk to school and in my classroom. And then I told my teacher the day before, I was like, Rob, cannot tell my you cannot tell my dad and then i just remember when i first walked in and she saw my face she just she just grabbed my arm went to the social services office and i didn't see him for a few months after that man for the spots on your arms from overcoming cancer that remind me i'm still breathing and for all of those little things because nowadays he gives me haircuts and he claims to care perfect every single time and every now and then he'll leave a patch on the back side of my head about the same size as the bruises he used to leave on my face. But I just smile and take it as a reminder of how uncontrollable his hands used to be. Thank y'all so much. Yeah, it was a crazy time for sure, man. So what did he have to do? Did he have to do some counseling or something in that time? management classes. One time he was out of town and so I got to go visit mom and my sister or something like that, but it was just, 
I think it was just classes and it was just evaluation, I think. And then and, once um, you came back, what was that like? My dad was very deeply affected by the whole process and didn't understand the consequences and the, the weight of his disciplinary style, if you will. And from then on, man, my dad was extremely apologetic came to me crying on so many occasions apologizing and i was so young i just didn't i was overwhelmed with everything and i was just happy to be home but then long story short so he was diagnosed with leukemia the summer i got back home that was a whole new journey on its own and then so then you have my dad at the hospital my mom always at the hospital making sure he's okay and getting food and, and then you have me at home by myself a lot and working through this growing resentment towards my father because I just was like, you owe me something. Right. You, I, this is kind of how I felt. And so then from sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, it was just like this period where when he came home and he started doing much better, they never disciplined me for anything. I felt like they couldn't really say anything to me. And so that this, this rebellious, very disrespectful side of me kind of really grew at that time. It took a lot, man, for me to get to a place which is to get over my own resentment towards my father specifically. Yeah, I think for me it was it was going to college and recognizing after a while, you come back home freshman year, sophomore year, and you look at your mom or whoever and you go, for the first time in your life, they're human beings. Yeah. They're human beings, flawed human beings, and they're just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're younger, it's just, they come at you with answers and you're looking for answers and you want answers and you, you're hoping that they have all the answers and then, you get to 19, 20, 21, you go, they didn't have any. They were just trying their best. And I think it's compounded a lot when, you know, as the children of immigrants, a lot of times, uh, maybe I'm speaking for myself, they're trying to figure out the shit about America too. Sure. So you were left on your own to figure it out. I was resentful of that fact when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But then I recognized that like 17, 18, 19 years old, there's so many people, there's so many of my peers who hadn't had the experience of being... Um, I'd say solo, not alone, mm. not lonely, mm -hmm. just solo to figure shit out on your own. And they never had that. So they were always looking for something else, looking for somebody, looking for somebody. And mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, there was a point where my mom, she wasn't home. She had to work. Mm -hmm. And for you, they're at the restaurant. You're home with your sister. Mm -hmm. Somebody else have to be that figure. You got to just figure it out on your own. And you get to 19, you're in D.C. I'm not saying it wasn't difficult, but it wasn't probably as difficult as somebody who's coming from a structure where mom and dad are providing everything and mm -hmm. something happened traumatic and now you're like on your own, but you, you were sort of on your own figuring out life throughout that whole time. Mm -hmm. They say that the best art, well, some of the best artists have to go through some sort of pain almost and come to some sort of cathartic understanding about what it is. Do you think that's true for you and your art? That you went in deep in it, you came out of it with a certain strength, a certain character's like, I can deal with any of this shit. Mm -hmm. I still have humanity for my for my father. I still have an understanding for the situation, and I'm gonna move forward with it. I don't have any animosity, none of that. It's a powerful, powerful feeling because there's a, I mean, you know, this there's a lot of people that you probably know going around with this pain. That sometimes you look at them and go, just release that shit, dog. Yeah. Don't take it. Don't take it anymore. Your dad ain't coming back. He's dead. I mean, what your dad is, whatever. It's it's done. Just mm -hmm. move. It's like the, the Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. From great pain. You sort of feel like you have a responsibility to kind of share to let people that don't know how to deal with it figure out there's a way out of this shit. When I was a young boy, and I heard that bass kick, then I heard that hi-hat, then I heard that tape deck spinning like the earth inside of my mom's car. Made me want to rule the world, and I feel I'm not far. Man, you know this shit is grimy, grimy, repping for that 1990, 90. You know who I am, it's Mr. Yamazam, I'm the 100 grand man, and I'm aiming for your place, cop glam, hot girl. This is for the east side, east side. from Vietnam to Vietnam, and above and beyond, for cholos and chicas who roll in Toyota, Corolla, or Nissan. Yeah, I, I mean, um, part of, part of it. It's simple. We're gonna lighten up this podcast and just. Yeah, no, I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> I like the meaningful stuff, though, man. I, I, at some point, it transforms into into a deep gratitude, and and you realize, like, no matter what it is you've been through, uh, you're still here, and. Once it starts to transform into an, a, a, a foundation of appreciation, um, you start to realize that other people have it way worse than you. Hells yeah. Right. And so I think no matter how bad it is, there are people out there who have experienced exactly what you have or much worse. 
and so you're somewhere in between in this world of again of, of suffering man right. and sort of instead of trying to like weigh your suffering um, against somebody else's experience is sort of just taking what's yours understanding that it's uniquely yours and realizing that actually you can transform the negative elements of your life into act, uh, sources of vitality actually I just had had a unique such a very unique experience um, and I think that there's other people out there who have overcome so much more adversity for sure but that I try my best to make things connect mm -hmm. because they are indeed you know and and so often we're we're made to believe that they're not shouts to down We're gonna lighten this shit up. <laughs> We're gonna lighten this shit up here. Um, talk about Desan, man, and how, how much of an influence he was for you as a mentor. I think you'd also mentioned, I think it was your uh, Buddhist leader, is it is it Daisakwe Keita? Keita, yeah. Yeah, Daisakwe yeah, man, so Keita, yeah. did he come into your life around that 17 to 21 period? Was it after you reconciled with your father that you're thinking about all these big concepts and you're like almost looking for what does it mean and you, you you gravitate more towards buddhism or was it always a strong part of your sort of daily routine it's interesting um so daisaku ikeda is the president of the sgi usa mm -hmm. uh, global organization right <clears throat> and so it's sort of the leader of this of this grassroots movement and so and has kind of dedicated his life towards propagating buddhism mm -hmm. So in a sense, kind of like a Dalai Lama figure, if you will, right? So in a way is a very distant figure, but the teachings both recorded and written are teachings that I base a lot of my life off of. And, and not only just Buddhism, but how to apply Buddhism in the 21st century in this like ever-changing fast-paced society. And so as far as me choosing a mentor in my life, President Keita probably is like the beginning of that. And I think the mentor-disciple relationship is very difficult to understand, especially from an American point of view. And I think in America, we have like a shallow view of teachers. We don't actually respect teachers that much here because of the way it's all set up. We don't pay teachers enough. We don't have the right people teaching the right things and right. the curriculums are, are whatever. So, and it's like college is sort of like an expected privilege. It's like, you teach me, you know, so right. I'm, I paid for this. Do you need to, you know, I'm here for this. So it's like a, the teach less about the teachers and it's more about the degree. Whereas in many Eastern and many just foreign countries, like imagine in like Japan, like if you want to weave baskets, you got to like do a gang of shit for 20 <laughs> years before you ever touch a basket, right. son. You know what I mean? Right. But then throughout those 20 years, you actually understand everything about life because you have applied your craft and your field of work to the way you live life and the way you view all life. And so for me, that was at 17. And I grew up in the in Buddhist practice, right? So as a young kid, I'm just like, man, this religious shit is bullshit. This shit, I don't like religion at all. Any kind of religion, why I don't know this dude, why I was this Daisaku Keda guy is a very estranged kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And 17 was when I started to actually, I think, realize the difference between like my greater ego and my lesser ego. The study of the ego and, and the sense of self-awareness is obviously is huge in all i think spiritual realms but we look at ego like just the word ego is bad but it's not it's actually i mean the ego is is how you feel about yourself right and i think it's just important to always try to tap into your greater ego and your greater self which is someone who is not restricted by you know a self-satisfying self-imposed idea of who you need to be and it's believing that you are capable of of accomplishing of overcoming whatever it is that you need to do in order to to grow and become the person that you want to be yeah 17 is the moment where i said i want to become the greatest poet in the world right and i was like for the sake of not for the sake of rank, for the sake of social status, but because I want to help people. And I believe that the arts, particularly, and specifically writing and performing, is like my way of doing so. 
with a smile in my teeth. Care about the future, care about the team. Carolina blue kicks, Carolina dreams. Born in November, all I'm gonna bring heart, heartbreak, fall in love is all I'm gonna need. All I really know is that all I will achieve could be gone with that click bang on them on a peak. I don't like opinions, don't like opinions. you can't argue with them. Can't argue with them. If you don't like religion, don't like religion. try altruism, stop ego tripping. My country, tis it is, made of egotism. I'm writing letters to my wallet, gotta see no divinity. I think most artists in general like this kind of outside of the spiritual realm, but for artists like it's got to be your calling. I think a lot of artists don't know they're not artists yet, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's a lot. It's, I also don't want to generalize people's experiences, but um, for me, man, yeah, like um, who you decide you want your mentor to be is 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 very important and and we have a narrative in america like you you just get places without ever getting help from nobody and it's like very far Except from for true Shirley, really Shirley, Alger, we do it all on our own yeah and we have unfortunately a leadership right now who's just propagating that idea that there's no interconnectedness yeah. we're not together we're not there it's just yeah. me 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 don't ego trip you mentioned something um, earlier, or just now in, in relation to Buddhism, and I want to ask, because the world is so fast-paced and so complex, mm -hmm. is Buddhism out of step, not because it's not important, but because we've just learned over in your lifetime mm -hmm. to move so fast, or is it even more necessary? now because we talked about that stillness earlier mm -hmm. where you can center yourself and just just kind of just find your best greater ego, ego. your greater ego yep, greater your self. best self yep. is it more necessary now because of the times we're in or is would it be difficult for let's say young people to grasp it because their life is just so i would say i wouldn't specify it to buddhism i would say just a spiritual self are we lost then are we in trouble definitely man Something I think about a lot, man, is like, I just start going down a rabbit hole, is like, um, how is it that religions were first formed? They say that the first religious ceremonial relics are, you know, graves, and they're honoring the deceased. And it's like, how do you deal with grief? You know, how do you make sense of your life after someone you loved is gone? These are the kind of things I think the elemental aspects of being human that I think about. I imagine for athletes or architects or whatever you do, if it's something that you're very serious about and you believe it can help the world and that it's something that's true to your life and that you believe you're here to do this, it's going to reach a spiritual level for sure. And in a time where we're more connected than we've ever been, I feel like I've noticed that people also feel more alone than they've ever been. It's like so is it the right time then? Is it the right time for something Eastern? For something that at its core requires stillness to try to understand? Because in the broader sense, I think the same thing. We have a world that is kind of distracted and dismissing the self, while at the same time propagating Images of false selves all over Instagram yeah. and Facebook and blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's yeah. imagery and simulacra. It's not who you are. Mm -hmm. So do we need something like Buddhism to kind of bring us back to the breath? I would respond by saying, I don't think we need Buddhism. Okay. Like, yes, sure, yes, I think Eastern philosophy in general and Buddhism is an amazing practice and it's definitely a tool that I believe ever, anybody can use. I think more important than that right now is we need more interfaith dialogues. We have to start to get to the root of spirituality in its greatest form. And I don't know, I don't, know, I don't have the answer. Right, you right. Know, it's I was about difficult. to ask you, so what, <laughs> what's the solution, G? What's the answer, man? Cause, and it's a sensitive, very sensitive issue for a lot of people. It says that you're the people. cultural diplomat for the State Department, <laughs> so I'm asking you, G. You, you got the title, you know, you got the title, you're in the U.S., you got a seat in the U.N. in New York, right? When Trump was there, you're there, you are a cultural representative of, of the State Department. It says so on Wikipedia, so it's got to be right. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers, G. Well, one thing I'm is, in Buddhism, that, is, that I think is, is amazing that helped me transform my life is the idea of human revolution and it's a one of the biggest elements of my practice and we think of the, just the word revolution is a very distant social political 
often perceived as a violent sort of pursuit. But in Buddhism, the human revolution is a, a dramatic shift and process in which you transform yourself so much that it is able to transform your environment. Buddhism is all about oneness. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult for, in, in interviews, anything, uh, anytime someone talks about something bad, there's always a good side to it. Anyone, there's always, there's this duality. And so, yeah, the idea of human revolution, it's the individual, man. It's the micro. And without that relationship with yourself, you will not be able to change your environment. We believe that there is a oneness of your environment and yourself. And your environment actually is a reflection of, of your life condition. And so people view their environment as this thing they can't change, right. that they can't affect, and that they're a victim to. But it's quite the contrary, man. Like you see Trump and you see all of this shit. This shit is a reflection of our, our life condition as a country, right. man. This is really here. We made this. We're, We're responsible this. for this. For sure. We're going down a road that led to this, and it's sure. it's a wake-up call to try to do it. You talk about the vastness of the history of the universe and, <laughs> and all that stuff, but no, no, but whatever you believe in the people that are out there. So we, both of them seem to say that we came from one thing, mm -hmm. and everything since then is a derivation of that one thing. Mm -hmm. So if there's this one pure thing that was there at the beginning, and we're sort of still somehow connected to that one thing, right. even by a little spark, right. the fact is... The same elements that are in the stars in the universe floating around right now, the same elements that are in me, there's nothing different about it. There was a point where, as a teenager, I'm like, only nerds look at sci-fi. And then I looked at Star Trek, and I got really into Star Trek. Now the old Star Trek, that's like the next generation, then it hit me. It's like, they're not talking about space. They're just talking about different aspects of the human condition. You know what I'm saying? You know, like Spock is our brilliant side, and, and you know, the wharf is our violent side, and the motherfuckers made in black motherfuckers, but whatever. But, but you know what I'm saying? So the human condition, we're all, it's one. Like you said, it's, it's a oneness. There's nothing outside of this. It's one of the things that I that I like about good poetry and wonderful hip hop. There's a poem that you read. I think it's called Elementary, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a point where I didn't like Jay Z. I didn't like that whole New York <laughs> stuff in the '90s because I'm like, I'm a poor kid from Brooklyn. I don't know what champ. I don't know what Chris. I don't. I don't. Mm -hmm. Why are you talking about stuff I'm never gonna see and has nothing to do with my reality? Mm -hmm. It has absolutely nothing to do. With but then there was a point where I actually looked at Jay Z's rhymes and I recognized why I liked them so much. It's not only internal rhymes, just like the words are cannibalizing themselves. His illusions and his metaphors stay within themselves, like inside a circle. Like you listen to Wayne. He's just fucking finding words that rhyme, and there's no, there's no centrality, there's no oneness. You know, and I don't know how to describe. I'm not a hip hop guy, mm. hip hop scholar, so I don't know how to describe it. But M does it, J does it, in, and obviously in 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 your music, I I see and I feel it and I hear it and I read it. But in that poem, Elementary, I saw it. Everything was was self-contained. There was nothing sort of straying outside of it. Everything was, you know, you took a step up, but you brought it right back mm. to that central core idea. Mm. And I think there's so much shit going on in the world that we sometimes forget to do that. Mm. And the beauty and the brilliance of artists is that they recognize that there are ways and means of bringing people back to that centrality, mm -hmm. to that oneness. You're 27, 28 years old. I don't want to sound like the old man, dog. But you got a lot. Where you are at this age is phenomenal. The story that I've heard and the understandings that you have, and I've talked to older people, a lot of them don't have this understanding of self because you are stardust. Whatever's going on in the universe out there, mm -hmm. the same shit is going on in you. So my thought is, if I can understand me, then I'm understanding the universe, because we're the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. If I understand me, then I can understand the universe. I don't want to go on a tangent, but my, my high school in, in New York, Brooklyn Tech, was 5,000 people. Wow. And there was a point where shy kid, I didn't want to interact with people. I was afraid to do it. Anybody who looked at me in high school and said, you doing a podcast? You, the guy that never talked? <laughs> But it occurred to me, if I can understand Brooklyn Tech, where there are people from every country around the world, mm -hmm. then I can understand New York City, which was a... So Brooklyn Tech was a microcosm of New York City. Yeah. New York City was a microcosm of the world. But the first thing I had to do was understand me and then be comfortable in talking to the people at 
around me at Brooklyn Tech. So mm-hmm. if I started with understanding me, mm-hmm. then by those leaps and bounds, I fucking understood the world. There's a point, and I'm going, why don't motherfuckers see this? <laughs> why don't people see this? It seems so simple to me. Yeah. To that own self be true. Understand yourself. Spend some time alone, quality time. Solitude is not the same thing as loneliness. It's not. Spend some time cultivating who you are. Embody, embrace, and express your best self. And it ain't going to be overnight. Dude spent 10 years in the wilderness trying to craft his art. And he's out in Cali doing it. And he's up and down in a, in a half of a room in D.C. Figuring out what the hell am I going to do if I'm spending $500 on rent and nothing else. But at the end... And for him, it's really just the beginning. 26, 27 years old is just the beginning. You get to a place where you're talking with eloquence. You're talking with force. You're spending time understanding your breath, understanding your ideas, crafting a way of delivering it. Because delivery is important. Delivery is incredibly important. You can have a wonderful set of ideas, but if nobody can hear it in the way that affects them, fuck the ideas. Think about what you're getting and what you give back. You know, oh, it's real good with the syntax. You know, reputation good, don't risk that. They said take this, they said take that. But think about what you're getting and what you give back. You know, oh, it's real good with the syntax. You know, reputation good, don't risk that. You know, every time I'm walking down the street, I see a homeless person pleading for a dollar just to eat. And I wonder if I feed him for a season, would he even believe me when not? We've been talking for a while, and I'm going to end it with this last, last question here. You, you mentioned in doing the poetry, you were looking for validation from strangers and I can understand after talking about your home life Mm -hmm. why that would be important that you were always looking for sort of acceptance and and something from other folks I bring that up because it seems that performers I'm thinking performance is is kind of like that you're on a stage at Shikori you're on a stage in Japan you're on a stage in Dubai those folks got to give you back love or you're going I failed you know what I'm saying is that something that you think is always going to be there as a performer or has that changed what you give back you know it's real good with the syntax you know reputation good don't risk that they said take this they said take that but think about what you get in and what you give back you know it's real good with the syntax you know reputation good i mean man it's a it's a it's a it's a balance for sure i was listening to a podcast recently and Wale was on the podcast with Joe Budden and they were talking just about the ups and downs of his career. And, you know, a lot of people shit on Wale, right? right. It's kind of this, this is, everyone just kind of shits on Wale for some reason, even though he's just really great, really great artist, man. He was just saying, it was like, yo, you don't fucking understand, yo, like my livelihood is based on whether people like me or not. <laughs> it's like, yo, like, no, I can't just, no, like you, you literally, record sales and all of this is based on whether people like you, you want to be liked. And there's a balance, man, because you lose a bit of who you are. And if you try to do nothing but accommodate for other people, but then also if you don't care at all about what people think about you, then you cheat yourself out of the potential of, of connecting mm-hmm. with someone. And, and I think it's a it's a balance, man. I ultimately want to build an audience that trusts me. And I want to build um, the a kind of voice that is, is not afraid to talk about the things that I feel are most important. Um, and that I also have maintained the freedom to be able to say anything I want to say. And I think that's kind of the, that's the like naive, immature element of being an artist mm-hmm. as opposed to being a politician or an activist or a teacher and someone who's in a, a field that does have boundaries in a way. And for me being an artist, yeah, it's hard, man. I definitely want people to like me, man. I need to just get back to these planks. Okay. And I need to do some push-ups. Okay. And, uh, but as long as you know it, as long as you know it, as long <laughs> no, as you know it. But also at the same time, less about wanting people to like me. A lot of the way I think about it is I just want to make people proud. First and foremost, I want my parents to be proud of me, right? I want my community to be proud of me. I want fans, I just want people to be proud of me. And I want to build something that I can be proud of. So. Yeah, so we'll finish it with this. What's next? What's next? Where can people go to check out G Yamazawa all over the interwebs? G Y A M A Z A W A, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I'm about to start dropping videos from the recent project. Money is Time is available now everywhere. Yeah, I'm going to just keep making joints, man. Hopefully, I'll be in the city 
city near you. Check him out. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Time is an important thing, and I appreciate you lending me some of it. Again, check him out all over the interwebs. Um, keep repping North CAC. Keep repping Durham. Keep repping the best of your ego. And we're going to continue to support, at least this guy will, and I hope you all do too. And um, thank you for joining us on the Ubuntu People's Podcast. Subscribe, like. Uh, like the man said, we all want to be liked. I want to be liked too. So let me know that. Comment, and we'll see y'all next time. All right. That was dope, man. Thank you so much, dude. <laughs> Dropping in bombs like a 10 style, 20% off. We ain't really related, you like an in law. You ain't living, you updated your SIM card. I don't give a fuck about a motherfucking phone. The next generation stuck up in the matrix, every race just trying to deal with their own self hatred. Long as we don't vote for Donald Trump, though. I heard they sell peace at the gun show. Best see you at the protest front row. Tell me what you run from, homie, what you run for. Knocking on your front door, dipping through the back door. Just cause you POC don't mean you fuck a black vote. Just cause you POC don't mean you fuck a black vote. Check the stack quote, see the line between yourself and the macro. Whoa. If I started a football team, I think I'd use chink for the mascot. <laughs> and the logo be mad high. With a mushroom cloud for the backdrop. Sasquatch with the pad tie on padlock with the cash crop on the black top. Whitewash like a cyclone. For the laptop on the wristwatch, putting hip hop in a ziplock. Bitch, stop. It's the shit I grew up with. That crunk shit, that subwoof in the back bumping. That sub start smacking and make the trunk lift. The bang that triggers you. That machine gun function. I need it to function. I need it so I can get up out of the grieving, weeping, and suffering. I see in abundance people that claim the MC but can't proclaim peace. So I'm here to deepen the substance. Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Ku Klux Klan still raising their youngins. Refugees showing up to your country. And blood gets thick when that shit gets ugly. We done came a long way from Yami Sound black but he look Chinese Shouts to the southeast and the Bengalis Got a problem with the track, you can run it by me Yeah, that's la vie, put a fist in the air Let the dreadlocks swing, I'm a Southside boy Doing Westside things, I'm a Durham OG I'ma rep my team, motherfucker Ten, find time to search inside you see, a smile won't shine unless you wear it with pride. See, I remember every time I would laugh, I would cover my eyes. But now I realize I have nothing to hide. See, I like my chicken teriyaki or fried. I like my fried rice with hot sauce on the side. You know, this for all those ridicules and racists as a child. And this is dedicated to all them Asians from the South. But there were plenty of things that I had to sacrifice, too. I used to sell half pounds to half of my school, but I ain't swagger jacking. I won't rap like you, because, dog, I'm Asian. I eat cats like you. Yeah.